0: this is getting out of hand now there are two of them where's your innovation huh the sequels suck
1: do the same thing everyone's happy it's
0: all about the money
1: boys here we go again
0: ladies and gents this is the moment you waited for
1: hey guys and welcome back to another episode of franchise fatigue this is a show where we explore film series one movie at a time i am your host james hamrick uh, and that uh, voice at the beginning, that is my co-host Gabe Green. I'll let you decide uh, I'm sorry. You know, if it's
0: Yeah, I apologize for that. <laughs> but I'm excited. Away. I'm very Just excited kidding. because we're about to talk about a movie that I love a lot. So, yeah, uh, this week uh, we won't be doing a uh, franchise film. We, uh, yeah, so last week we finished up uh, the Unbreakable Split Glass trilogy, and before we start our next series, which will be the MCU, uh, we're going to do an, a callback to our old podcast, Underrated, uh, and talk about a film that uh, at least I think didn't get enough love with uh, 2017's uh, The Greatest Showman. But before we get into that, I want to ask you guys, if you enjoy the show, to please take a moment to head over to iTunes and then give us a rating and review. That would just be very helpful. Um, and also su- subscribe while you're at it Then you can uh, head over to Facebook and like us there at franchise unique podcast. You can keep up with all the latest episodes as well as uh, give feedback that can appear on the show. And speaking of that feedback, I, act- I asked on Facebook, uh, what our listeners thought of this show, uh, Quentin Irie, uh, he was on for the blood around 20- 2049 podcast said the most overrated film in recent memory. And I'm very sorry we ever had him on. <laughs>
1: Jeff Norman, friend of ours said, it's everything you ever want. It's everything you they ever need. You gotta sing
0: it. It's everything you ever want.
1: See, I'll leave that to it's you. It's
0: everything anymore. you ever need. <laughs> and it's here right in front of you.
1: I have a bad voice. I just don't need everybody else to know This that. is
0: where you want to be. <laughs> and, uh, David said that film you despise, but the soundtrack that you low key love. Plus that, plus that panic at the disco cover. Um, speak for yourself, man. <laughs> I, uh, I don't despise the film, and there's nothing low key about my love for the soundtrack, uh, as you guys may have guessed. Uh, and I don't really like the Panic at the Disco cover. <laughs> so, uh, diving into uh, some of the behind-the-scenes story of this film, uh, this movie had a really weird inception. Uh, so, going back to 2009, uh, when Bill Condon, director of films like The Dream Girls, the uh, the two Breaking Dawn films from Twilight, and the uh, Beauty and the Beast remake, among many other movies, and producer Lawrence Mark. Uh, they were producing that year's uh, Oscars, and Hugh Jackman was the host. And they were kind of comparing uh, Hugh Jackman to P.T. Barnum, you know, the legendary founder of the Barnum and Bailey Circus. And apparently the idea stuck somehow, because soon after that they had gotten him attached to a, a P.T. Barnum musical. Um, they then approached uh, Sex and the City writer Jenny Bix, who had also written for that year's Oscars ceremony, to write the film. So, <laughs> So that kind of began the very long process of getting this film to the big screen. Then in uh, 2011, Australian VFX artist and commercial and mu- music video director Michael Gracie was brought on to direct. He had directed a Lipton iced tea commercial that starred Hugh Jackman. It was this uh, big, lavish kind of musical with these huge like dance routines, which is you know no doubt why uh, Jackman wanted him for this movie. In 2013, it was announced that uh, Bill Condon himself would write the film. Uh, Him and Jenny Bix share uh, the writing credit, and Bix has a story by credit. Toy Story 3 writer Michael Arndt was also heavily involved in writing the film. Um, He didn't receive any credit. Just the way Hollywood credit arbitrations work, the process by which people are credited for their writing, is very complicated, and you know most movies have like writers that you know, might have worked on on them for you know months or years that don't actually get credited because like in news stories back in uh, 2017 he, a lot of people were saying this is a film by Michael Arndt and i remember watching a um an interview with gracie and he the only writer he mentioned like who wrote the story was michael arndt so i don't know you know what he brought to it mm. and also in 2013 they brought in Justin Paul and Benji Pesac uh, the writers behind the Tony Award-winning musical Dear Evan Hansen, which is pretty good, uh, to write the songs. And then later, but before this movie came out, they would also write the songs behind a little musical called La La Land that came out in 2016 hmm. um, that I think one of us is very fond of.
1: Oh, yes, and one of us is very, very uh, correct for being very fond of.
0: I like it. The songs, are, the songs are great, though.
1: So as you said, like this was kind of made with Jackman. In mind, so it was no surprise whenever he was cast as P.T. Barnum. Uh, for the role of Letty Lutz, uh, it went to Kiala Settle, uh, and the character is actually a composite character uh, based on uh, Josephine Clofulia and Annie Jones.
0: I have a feeling there are a lot of those in this Probably.
1: movie. Probably, Settle actually had to essentially like be bribed to even audition for the role. Her fellow Broadway star. Shoshana Bean had previously recorded a demo um, and Settle thought she was going to be better. So here's a quote from her. She said, I said, hell no. I knew Shoshana had done the demo and I said, you call her, tell her to come and sing it and I'll sing backup for her because I'm a huge fan. I love her voice. I love who she is as an artist. And when I heard her sing it, I went, well, nobody else is going to sing this. And to be honest, I still don't uh, think anybody else can sing it except show. So I tried with everything to dodge that bullet. Finally, when it came time to do it, T minus one day, Hugh and Michael came up to me and said, "What is it going to take for you to sing this song?" I said, "If you buy me a bottle of Jameson, I'll do it." <laughs> they kept it in a bag and said, "This is yours if you sing the song." I'm very cheap that way.
0: Yeah, it is kind of funny, just like how adorably shy she is. Like in all the in kind of the behind the scenes stuff, like she's, you know, she's not the kind of doesn't seem to be the kind of person that would want to do this. She seemed to kind of had to it would be coaxed along but she she's just fantastic though so i'm glad they're able to get her in
1: yeah and honestly I, I feel like there's a just in terms of like wanting to stay hidden and then just that level of surprise when she's out there she like really mirrors her own character
0: yeah which is funny like I, you would think it would take a lot more guts to do broadway than to be on a film set
1: yeah for the character of philip carlisle the role went to zach efron
0: he's a Kind of a veteran of a bunch of you know movie and TV musicals.
1: Yeah, he did three there for a while that made him pretty famous.
0: Also, yeah, uh, the hair—he was in uh, hairspray as well.
1: That's right, and he had some uh, quotes that I just thought was was interesting. Uh, he said one of the reasons he wanted to come back on for a musical after being gone from the genre for so long is he just said falling in love in a musical number on camera is one of my absolute favorite things to do in the world. I'm not ashamed to say it. I know it's pretend, but when you get to live in that kind of moment for a scene or two, it feels amazing. It brings you back to Gene Kelly and singing in the rain. There are there any better ways to express true love than in song?
0: He, he does it really well. So
1: yeah. And then he said, uh, it's not like riding a bike. You can't just remember instantly and pick up where you left off. These dances were leveled up for sure. The one with Hugh, the other side, I think we got it on tape 56 or something like that. It was a <laughs> long day at work, but it was nice. when we finally got it. Um, And for the person he was falling in love with, uh, the character Anne Wheeler, for this role, it went to Zendaya. Um, And she talked about her interview. A lot of these auditions, there wasn't really a long process. I think they kind of got the characters they wanted or the actors they wanted really early on. And so this is taken from an article in Teen Vogue said it, was a nor- it wasn't a it was a normal audition. After meeting with director Michael Gracie, where he played the movie's music for her and her mom, he invited her to a chemistry read with Zach. In preparation, she recorded a cover of Rewrite the Stars that she then played for Zach and Michael. It was funkier. It had heavier bass and drums, Zach remembers. Her range was shown in it. This is badass. When Zendaya wasn't looking, he said, Michael was giving him impressed glances. Then he asked her to hang out with him and Zach. Unbeknownst to her, this meant she had gotten the park uh sorry she had gotten the part
0: like uh, like efron she's kind of a veteran of the uh, disney channel thing Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Already really that kind of already that built-in audience though you know so there's definitely a lot of kids who want to go out and see zendaya and zach and everything um for the rest of the cast uh michelle williams was cast as charity hallett barnum wife of uh, pt barnum uh and skylar dunn played uh young charity it's
0: fu- it's funny how like she is almost exclusively in the indie world then she'll just kind of pop up in these big films like <laughs> in venom or this uh where she was she was in the Oz the great and powerful just kind of she's great in all of them but it's kind of funny how she does that
1: yaha abdul mateen II as wd wheeler an acrobat and annie's older brother or Anne's older brother black mantis Oh, I have not seen that yet. I didn't know that was him. You called yourself a DCU fan. (laughs) Uh, Paul Sparks plays James Gordon Bennett, the founder and editor and publisher of the New York Herald. Uh, Sam Humphrey plays Charles Stratton, a dwarf performer who is also known by his stage name as General Tom Thumb. And a little tidbit about it. So even though he's a dwarf, he was actually still taller than uh, the actual Stratton. And so he walked on his knees uh, because he was too tall for the role. Oh, wow was a big problem of mine with it because i feel like it was incredible incredibly obvious it just looks super super cgi for some reason and now i know why
0: a lot of little people do have kind of an awkward gait, so i assume that was just that
1: uh, and there was just so, like there was something very digital looking about the movement huh? uh to me uh but James Babson actually provides Stratton's both his speaking and singing voice, uh, which is another issue I had with the character. It just it felt very obvious; it wasn't him speaking. Uh, and last, Gail Rankin plays Queen Victoria, the Queen of the United Kingdom.
0: So the film was shot by uh, Joe Wright's go-to cinematographer, Seamus McGarvey. Uh, they hired him while he was shooting uh, *Pan*, which starred Hugh Jackman. So that's probably how they got him on. Um, principal photography began in November of 2016 after extensive rehearsals, and it was mostly shot in New York City. Um, it's also worth noting choreographer Ashley Wallen, who is behind the film's you know, enormous and very intricate uh, dance numbers. Uh, he he is kind of a star in his own right in this movie. This was actually his first film.
1: During post-production, uh, James Mangold, who has worked with Hugh Jackman and Fox many times before, was brought on as an executive producer to help Gracie with the post-production uh, this included overseeing the reshoots and helping with the editing. Uh, from what we know, it doesn't seem that this was done because of conflicts with director or because there were massive problems that required replacing him. It seems he was just uh, there to help the time the filmmaker, or he was just there to help the first-time filmmaker finish the movie. Uh, and Gracie directed all the reshoots uh, and that all that was there for the editing. Uh, Gracie even noted in an interview you know there were eight producers on this film and it was amazing having one of them be a filmmaker Um, so I think he just was really trying to take advantage of of the talent they had there for the film score John Debney was brought on as composer Uh, a few months later Joseph Trapanese came on so they are both credited with the actual score Uh, the film was released by 20th Century Fox on December 20th 2017 a full 8 years after the film's initial inception uh, with the original producers star and director which feels rare for a film stuck in development hell for so long usually you would like you'd see eight different director changes and whole cast rehauls and everything but this managed to stick in there.
0: The one thing, like, even people who hate this movie can't deny, the people involved loved this project and really want. And I, you know, that goes for everyone. The director, Hugh Jackman, everyone just they wanted to get this made.
1: Mm-hmm. It was released a week after the Last Jedi and uh, alongside Jumanji: Welcome to the Jungle, which was a lot of competition. I'm sure we'll talk about it whenever we get to its reception and and box office. But yeah, you know, it it had legs despite opening up in such a crowded spot um so
0: th- i'm kind of scared right now because i know the f- uh, the first time you watched it you were kind of like oh, it's okay and i haven't spoken to you since your second watch um so uh what do you think about this movie now it's okay i hate you i hate you so much go away get out of my
1: life <laughs> so the rest of this hour will be gabe singing his own versions of all of the songs uh we'll yeah. see you next week you'll,
0: you'll be sitting over there like the theater critic all right <laughs> Uh, so you you want to expand on that at all? Just um, kind of your initial thoughts and whatnot.
1: Yeah, so the first, we have a what we try to keep is a monthly sibling night, and I have five uh, siblings and uh, two in law siblings. So we we go through a bunch of different movies, and I don't remember whose night it was, but one of my siblings chose the Greatest Showman, and I also have three nephews and a niece. And so we tried watching it with everybody there and we had like two year olds dancing and singing in the middle and all sorts of nonsense happening. And so I I watched the whole thing, but and 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 I wasn't the biggest. I thought it was fine, you know, Um, but I didn't want to try to discount it entirely because there was so many distractions. And and I I'm often like I really enjoy fighting for the underdog kind of movie. Um, I get a lot of joy from. Murder on the Orient Express love. So I rewatched this anticipating to like it more. And I think there were aspects of it that I think I did enjoy more. Just given that like I was able to watch it uninterrupted. Uh, the pacing and just the, the way we get information was improved a lot. Because it felt super jarring having all of this craziness going on the first viewing. Uh, but even still, I don't know. I, I enjoyed my time with it. But it's not really something that i'm never probably going to be going like back to
0: so yeah i um you know look i was just looking forward to this you know i love hugh jackman i love musicals so when a hugh jackman musical comes out i go see it and i saw it and i loved it i came out like i you know i had like a whole list of problems with the movie and yet i had the biggest smile on my face and was singing you know singing all the songs you know immediately bought the soundtrack and uh and then you know, I, I think I, I end up seeing it uh, three times in theaters. Every time, you know, loving it a little bit more. And no joke, I listened to this the soundtrack on repeat. I'd say for a good three or four months, like every day through the entire thing, possibly multiple times um and then you know as you know that was slowly peered out but i still go back to it fairly regularly and i can never listen to one song i always have to listen to the whole thing this is the only um this is the only musical that i listen to the entire thing without skipping any of the songs so yeah i i am a ridiculous and huge fan of this movie when we rebooted uh, underrated into franchise fatigue the reason i wanted to keep underrated alive was because i I wanted to talk about two movies. One was the uh, murder on the Iron express and the other was the greatest showman. All right. So <laughs> where to start with this movie? I guess we'll start like where they do with the songs. Um, just right off the bat with the credits, where, they, where they, they're just going right into the song with the chanting and the stomps. And then we cut to you know, Hugh Jackman framed against the light and he's just going through the, da- the dance motions and tossing the cane and catching it. I am instantly sold. Like I am like, I am yours movie. The way he moves, he's like, he is he's, He is a real showman. He understands, you know, how to capture the camera and capture the audience. And I've got to talk about the way Paul and Pasek structure these songs. There's this, ju- there's a, a sense of bi- the building intensity that draws you in. And this one is no different. You know, it starts with that beat and it's just building up as you know you're going through his singing and then it just kind of goes into this insane frenzy it's you know tell me do you want to go and runs out on the stage of the the horses stepping in time and the you know the girls breathing fire and it's you i i I am instantly in like do, do you at least appreciate the craft that goes into these musical numbers
1: i think the songs themselves are fantastic um there, it's weird. That was probably the biggest improvement. The first watch, I was like, I really like the greatest show. Um, you know, this is me. Is pretty good. Uh, my rewatch, I th- I really really do enjoy probably every single song here. Um, and I enjoyed the production of most of the numbers. I think my issue with with uh some of the musical numbers comes from like they. I wish he was more creative in, in the practical stuff and relied less on some of the CGI. I think you'd be surprised
0: at how much there is practical. I, I'm sure there's these dance numbers. I'm
1: sure there's plenty practical. It's just the eye will just latch on to like the biggest thing there and like what I feel like it's trying to call to attention. And so, just I, I feel like some of the green screen is where Like when Zendaya goes up to the camera, it's it just it feels. I love that shot. <laughs> it's a it's a cool shot. Like the way it's composed and everything is really cool. I just it it just feels fake. And like with the the elephants and and the the part that gets me the most is whenever uh, the General Tom Thumb is on the horse riding around. Shooting. It's just <laughs> a lot of the numbers feel like there's just unnecessary amounts of CGI in them, and I much prefer things like uh the other side, which is my favorite choreographed song, where it's just them using their space. Um, or I forget the name of the song, but whenever uh Hugh Jackman is uh it's his real emotional number towards the end when he's in From the now on. yeah that that number where it's just it's a space, it's a location and you got a bunch of people and they're all choreographed, those numbers I think are really, really good uh it's whenever they get a bit more excessive and i get it they want the circus flair it's just um every now and then it just kind of takes me out of the moment because it, it feels like this fake kind of world but the choreography is fantastic <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> uh
0: i i love how self-aware this movie is like even as leor's you know, like just surrender because he feel the feeling take it over it, it's like it's Opening itself up to the audience, and saying, you know, this is the kind of movie we are. You know, either you could just open it up and go along with it, or you could be like, James, just say, oh, that CGI shot's a little <laughs> iffy. <laughs> I love you, James. Well, I'm just going to be mocking you the
1: whole time. Hey, I could take it.
0: Yes, yeah, so just, I feel like the, the film is right with this opening number. It's just like, this is the kind of movie we are. We're, we're just here to give you a joyful experience, and you know, you know, teach you a couple nice lessons and make you feel a little bit but ultimately this is just about the joy you know as, as they say with that close with the closing line from pt Barton, which i don't even know if it's a real quote but you know the noblest art is that of making others happy and th- that that really does feel like the creed of this movie and honestly i think that, that that's the that, that's what the majority of you know, the classic musicals that this is obviously harkening back to kind of I think this exists very much in that same space. It goes to tone, where I think of movies like *Singing in the Rain* or um, Seven Brothers*. Seven Brothers, where I don't think any of them are like any deeper as far as the the themes they explore or the characters. Like it, it, it exists on this glitzy, shiny, happy surface level where they have emotion, but the emotion it's it's a, you know a big, broad, childlike emotion. I think like that's one thing. I don't, I don't think a lot of people got about this one is that this is a family movie. It's you know it's rated PG. I that's not an excuse for when something is bad. Like where so many kids movies are just you know just all fart jokes and really you know bad slapstick. Like this is not that. This do- this doesn't exist on that level. So I'm not, I'm not trying to make excuses and oh it's a family movie so it's okay that it's bad. I think this exists on a you know a much more sophisticated level that but even then everything is simple you know the racism the the the, the prejudice it's portrayed on a level that you know kids can immediately get all like all the drama and emotion is very big and expressive and you know kind of comes in really fast it's it's existing on a level where every person you know that you know your eight-year-old grandmother and your you know five-year-old child can instantly pick up on I think that's one a big part of that is the visual storytelling. Which I think is pretty incredible. Like, like, this, like, A Million Dreams, the song where we just go through his entire life. And sure, you no, know, there's no, there's no subtlety to any of it, but we still get exactly who this guy is, you know, the struggles he's having, the life he's led, and, you know, going into, you know, his marriage. Like, it's all, all the things that are be kind of, kind of communicated by him. Just, just opening up with him looking at, uh, through the door at this, you know, fine suit as he's dressed in rags or, uh, or um, later on, when uh, after they're ma- married, or no, right before he proposes, after, you know, when he goes and gets her from her, her father, and like he pauses and looks through a window at this super fine restaurant, and he just kind of stops, and his, you know, Charity kind of has to pull him away. Like, there's—it's always telling us something about the characters through the visuals. And I think you know Michael Gracie coming from commercials where you have thirty seconds to tell a little story and communicate often through just pure visuals. I think he's brilliant at that. Just. Giving us the information, the emotion, just seeding it out all throughout the, the musical numbers in a way that I think feels very natural and, and and very much in line with with this grand tradition of storytelling through music. I think he's he's perfectly suited to this 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 medium.
1: Yeah, he he clearly has a uh, that kind of visual flair and and understanding that like the story itself doesn't stop because there's a song. Like he definitely gets that storytelling is done often through songs and musicals and uh and he wastes no time with with where he's pointing the camera and what he's showing
0: and like just to talk about the characters we kind of have to talk about the song so going into that the second one you know, we have a million dreams where pt barnum as a character is someone who like you know it lives at the bottom but you know is is very aware of how little he matters you know how how poor he is and he just you know he hates his position and every, everything he does throughout that song is you know, just just trying to better his life, trying to prove, you know, prove himself to her father, trying to you know get a job, trying to you know be something more than what he was born to be, and that that, that that's his arc throughout the entire film. And you have a similar thing with Charity, who you know, she was born at the top, but she also hates where she is. You know th- this life that is you know completely planned out for her, where she has no control. You know everything everything around her is artificial. You have the scene where she's you know learning to drink tea. And it's just this, it, the whole thing is a facade and there's just, she's just miserable in it. And in, in, in PT Barnum, she, what she sees someone who is able who just sees the world differently. And I love the scene where they go into the old abandoned house and he's, even that you, you see the fact that he's a showman, you know, the way he's like using the shadows of the wall. He, he just sees the, the magic and, and joy in everything in life. And, for someone who is, you know, who is trapped in this very artificial world that, you know, that's what she wants out of him. And I I love the, the kind of the conflict that creates between them throughout the entire film, where even as he's, he's rising by the station he's going up through the, through the classes and, you know, finding the life he thinks he wanted. she, She, as someone who has already been there, knows how, how empty and foolish it is. And she's like, she's, you know, trying to you know get through to him that that doesn't really matter she came you know she came with him because she loves him she loves the way he sees his, his, the world and she you know she wanted to be there because you know life with him is an adventure and he, whereas he's just try constantly trying to fight to the top and even once he gets to the top, even then, all it takes is just like one little sharp remark from her father, you know. And all all this success, and still you're just the tailor's boy. And even then, it, it just like, cuts into his core because he is so full of insecurities and can't accept anywhere ever he is. He always has to keep going more, and he, it's, it ends up destroying him. But I feel like you know a lot of the subplots are very underdeveloped. But I think you know his story at the core of the film, weaving through all the all the different uh, story turns. I think is actually very well told and you know obviously very well acted. Duh, but. I think like the the core of this movie I think is a a very well told story. I I don't agree with like the criticism that this is like I I do agree with like some of the subplots that are kind of poorly told and sloppy, but I think this film does have a very strong story at its center.
1: I I think it has like the bones of a good story. I just (laughs) think it it this is weird because I feel like I'm gonna have to get into my criticism of some of the subplots as well. It it's weird To me, like, there's no real side characters in it. Like, it has things that it feels like are side characters that get their own stories, but they're so, it feels so rushed, like they're isolated to a couple scenes. And you'd think at least the benefit of that is we get more time with the other main story. But even with P.T. Barnum, I feel like we're just, like, it's covering so much ground that we're, like, every new obstacle or struggle or something going on in his life gets all of, like, one scene and we move on to something else, and that gets, like... Assim- like but
0: they're, they're all thematically connected, though.
1: Yeah, but it, it feels like... It feels like it's trying to pack too much substance into these little isolated, like, character movements for him. Uh, like, everything with Jenny Lynn just feels so contrived to me, because it's like, we have... I, and I like the idea of their story where you know she says uh, people who are born into wealth can't understand it and this and that and, and so I, I like the idea of she sees someone like P.T. Barnum who's reached this huge success but did so out of like just their own will and their own hard work. Someone else who wasn't just born into this lavish lifestyle and kind of sees a kindred spirit in that and is conflicted because she's got this just you know this uh, like saint kind of perception about her and she's struggling with that like that's a cool plot to explore but but we get like her meeting with the wife and everything and then just like a montage of singing and then like we reach the the fine like the finale to their subplot the next scene the the
0: the montage uh, the montage of singing is the story that's where 90 percent of the development is happening
1: and that's that's a problem i have with the movie is it's it's, that's
0: musicals though
1: uh, no musicals they don't they don't get their bulk bo- like beats happen through montages yes but 90% of of side plots or character development and conflict should never be in a montage like for this whole portion of his life to be told through just glances of her shows and things like that and then immediately following that 90 percent of their plot to have them sitting on the couch and then she's out there in tears the reason it doesn't work for me is that i don't feel emotionally invested at all like as she's and she's like uh i forget her line where she's like a looks like we both gambled and lost and she's like Mm -hmm. all crying like i she's great rebecca ferguson is fantastic i think one of the best bits of acting in the whole movie is her like her last singing of the song um and then you know her last exchange with barnum there but it's just i don't i don't feel anything there just because it can't it comes and goes so quick and and it doesn't like he's been struggling with this whole wealth but like the second she even makes a subtle advance he's like hey i'm out of here like the last time we saw him they could not convince him at all to to you know come back to the show stop with all these tours and like she makes a subtle advance to him on the couch and he's like hey i gotta get out you can handle the rest of this show and and so it wasn't even really a struggle on him and then it leads to the whole it's not what it looks like thing. And even that's kind of resolved really, really easily. And I don't know, it's, everything's just kind of coming and going and flowing by like any conflicts. When they arrive, they feel a bit contrived, like just out of necessity. And they're resolved quickly out of necessity and it's coming and going. And I'm just I don't have anything to attach myself to or feel invested in. Hugh Jackman. I love Invest Hugh in Jackman.
0: Jackman. Believe in him. <laughs> I believe in him. I, I don't. I don't entirely disagree with you. Um, I I do agree that you know most of the conflicts are kind of rushed. They kind of come and go. But for me, this is where the power of a good performance comes in. Like, it's drama is not just writing. It's not just directing. It's also seeing a human that you believe in and that, that is portraying all these emotions and doing so in a way that you cannot help but fall in with. And for me, even when my brain is saying, this is kind of rushed, like my heart is all, is looking at Hugh Jackman or Zac Efron or Zendaya or Michelle Williams, I cannot help but feel it because I, I think each performance is so powerful and so perfectly in tune with the tone and style and story that's being told that, you know, Whereas yeah, you know, my mind does kind of agree with you on some of the, some of those points. It just doesn't matter because there's so much heart in their performance. There's just so much love and care and, and just emotion that's that's being projected that I, I can't help but fall in line with it.
1: Yeah, and, and I'll agree the performances are great. Um I don't really think there's a weak link. I think everybody's doing really well with everything they're given. I've randomly just become a big fan of Zac Efron over the past year. And so I really like his performance. I'm really pleased with just Zendaya's career post Disney. I think she's really good here. Um, But it's like, despite, you know, drama isn't just writing, but it's also a lot of, a lot (laughs) of it is writing, you know, a a good performance can only do so much. And, And I'm not saying everything here is just unsalvageable or terrible. It's just, there's so little. Well, I, I think in this
0: film, this film has the the, the the acting and the direction telling most of the story. Where it's a lot of visual storytelling. Kind of like... But it's like... Oh, like... You could probably watch this as a silent film, I would... Well, except for the music, but
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that would be like, such an awkward. That's one. kind of
0: important. Like just the style of storytelling is that very much you know a state... Like almost, like you, I can so easily imagine this on stage, even though it's so big and visually and so visual.
1: Oh, and it's, it's probably. I think it's coming to stage. I'm almost positive.
0: Oh, it's got to. Like this soundtrack is is like such a huge hit.
1: But for me, so it's like the perform Like these characters they're playing don't even feel like characters. Like to me, there's. For me, the only person who feels like an actual character is P.T. Barnum, and Michelle Williams
0: doesn't. Charity,
1: she kind (sighs) of. It just feels like this peripheral kind of. And I get that, like most side characters are there to, in some way, despite how well-rounded they may be written, they're there to serve the goals of the film that pertain to the lead, Uh, and it's not a bad thing. But here, like I mean, she's. She's fine. Their their history doesn't really feel concrete. Like it doesn't feel like it all really Who happened. Who needs
0: history when they're on screen singing and dancing
1: together? And like we have those lines where it's like, a, I would have said yes. It's just like we've made these decis- decisions before, but we did it together. And it's like, well, we've never seen that. We don't. Who cares? She just told, she just told you. I know, but it feels like we're supposed to be like, yeah. Y'all have always like, it, like that's a statement about this relationship that everyone would be like, yep always together and it's like when did we ever see that like all of their like their whole history and like fighting through hardship again that's another portion where it's just it's told through montages and then we've got these lines that are meant to harken back to this investment we have here i'm like i when did that happen i i don't know and it's it's the show don't tell kind of thing it's like we've got these statements that they're making about each other and it's like I, okay, I didn't think that until now, and you've told me that I'm supposed to think that, so I'll think that. But nothing prior to this moment leads me to think that that's how I was meant to feel. And so just with the character of of uh, Anne Wheeler, Zendaya's character, it's like she's really good in it, but it's not a car. It's like it's it's an idea masquerading as a character that feel like that's just there. Not out of necessity, but just there to serve like this function. Like we're in this time period, we're gonna make and I'm I i do not fault the film for being simplified on topics like race. I think it is it is like I'm sure people are going to have an issue with that and did have an issue with that. And I'm not even mad at people for having an issue on that. It's just for me, I do kind of I get the idea of we're gonna take these very complex issues and we're going to boil them down and simplify them into terms that like their most broad-stroked kind of thing which that which I kids think can le- is see. leading
0: into you know it, this is a family film. It's
1: Yeah, and so I I don't fault it for doing that, and then I, and I, do, I don't
0: s- think there's anything untrue about this portrayal of things like that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so that's broad, or it's 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 broad, but I think like part I think part of this is we you know we, we do watch movies which you know to explore the things in real life, and I think I think this movie would be a fantastic. Way of you opening that conversation up to children, and you know, by you know, giving us these characters, you know, giving you know, they love Zendaya, and now she's being treated badly because she looks differently, and you know, like her performance of her reaction to that is great. Like, I think, like you, as a conversation starter for children, I think this is a fantastic way, you know, just of how we how we treat other people. There's a natural human instinct to you know, kind of recoil when we see things that are different from what we normal what we're used to. And you're, and you're teaching children to, rather than recoil in fear, to reach out, you know, to respond, and you know, just treat other people like humans, your basic human decency, that that kind of thing. I feel like this is a you know a fantastic starting place for that.
1: Yeah, and, and like I said, that's that's not my issue with it. It's just it feels incredibly on the nose in in that these characters don't feel like they're actual characters. They're there as placeholders for these ideas like we we don't really get a lot of scenes at all with her like i don't really know who she i know who she is as defined by like the struggle that she has but i don't know who she, she is she trapezes real good yeah that's that's it and I also find like and again this isn't a criticism this is just something that i thought was kind of fun. like we got the part of this film is just about giving everybody dignity and respect and everybody's deserving of of love and things like that and it's like of us in a circus full of you know the freaks and whatnot the person that you choose to like explore the topic of like well we all like it's okay to love these people <laughs> you choose like the incredibly beautiful zendaya, zendaya to uh to explore that thing like, and oh. well of course like you just made it really easy on yourself well, I, mean, I
0: mean to be fair in your 1900 that is an issue
1: yes i know, I know. It's 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 a <laughs> It was kind of an easy way to do handle the issue with today's audience. Regard like not even an issue, I just thought it was funny. Um But like with her character though, we've we've got like this passing glance initially that that teases something. And then him saying, Hey, either we all go or we don't and then like they're holding hands and everything. It's just And it's beautiful. It's, but it's not there. <laughs> I like I don't I don't know anything about her character, and so I'm like, like, there's nothing more than simple, like surface level physical attraction, that holds them together. Because I don't really know her. I know him a bit more, but even his character, like, there's not really a whole lot there. And so it's like, I mean, he's Zach Efron, she's Zendaya. They see each other exactly. like hey, these are these this <laughs> other person's equally hot. So. But the, there's not a relationship there, and so it's like it's just this very surface level thing that feels like a placeholder to to go ahead and let like let's explore the the concept of racism real quick while we're in this movie, I, but at the cost of like actual characters. I,
0: I just I just think you're expecting a different film that this thing never really promised?
1: I, I'm not expecting re- the the actual topic uh, uh, or like concept the, explored more. I'm just wanting more from these characters. Like, just simple scenes, because you're comparing it to things like Seven Brides for Seven Brothers and... Uh, you a, don't singing, know who singing, any of those
0: brothers are.
1: You know some of those you brothers. You do not. And you definitely know him. You know Zac Efron you know better
0: than anyone other than the two main characters in that movie. No, no, no. no. Yes, and you it's, do.
1: Not at all. Uh... And then with things like singing in the rain, where it's like, man, the whole all of these side characters are so level, and like, they the conflict feels more like feels more cohesive. It feels don't more really like I do not I don't.
0: I don't believe it is. I, I, I think I this is literally the exact same type of storytelling. I
1: I don't at all because here, like I said, it just it feels like everything is just coming and going so quick. We've got these cool musical numbers to latch onto, but there's no that there's not this central. Plot that feels concrete. I get that you can like trace themes and and story progression, everything across it. It's just it's the story of you know PT
0: Barnum. Well,
1: it just feels so hot running from who
0: he was, and I don't I don't agree with that. Like because the whole thing is you know he's running from who he is, and and you know he creates a family with 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 outcasts like like the kind of the way he also feels, and. Once he achieves success, he kind of leaves them behind and starts forgetting the entire reason he was here in the first place. And then in the end, he you know he comes back home. It's a very simple story, but it, the, every scene kind of speaks to that. And I think including the racism, it's you know it's it's, it's all part of that. Just the whole pointlessness of the, the kind of classified and the the things that make feels so insignificant and you know, feet into his massive minority complex are, are kind of spoken into by the whole circus of freaks and all. That. It's just these are things that aren't real that he's allowing to define him. Like he's even after all his you know his quote unquote freaks have accepted themselves, he still is struggling to accept you know who he is and the fact that he doesn't need to hide behind this facade of you know, uh, you know, of whatever of class or wealth or anything
1: it's it feels like the the scenes we get are just scenes that like acknowledge that but don't just exist in that for even like a full scene it's like we go from seeing the queen and hearing uh jenny lynn and having him bring her back into i think it i think that's when we get another montage and the next scene is like he's like hey i'm going on tour i'm out of here and it's like we just jump from you being introduced to where things can go
0: but but you talk about in that scene is where he uh you know, he kind of becomes infatuated with Jane Lind here. She's she and you have the song Never Enough, which is kind of like speaking to his soul of where he is right now. Um, you have, you know, his wife He's kind of you see her kind of concerned in, in the balcony. You have the scene where he doesn't allow the um the the his his circus crew to come into the room. He's like, you know, who's gonna pay for you if you if you're down the open? You know, he kind of he shuts them out. Well also he also made them stay in the standing room, and then he embarrasses his wife in front of her parent, you know. He kind of like goes on the attack against her father and you know, that and his father you know, says that line that cuts into it like all of that is happening in there every single moment is feeding into that like I, I don't think there's a single line in this movie that isn't on topic I and mean, maybe to a fault like I think that, that is a little bit of what is um of what is uh I think you know I think a few little lines here and there for other characters would have helped flush them out but every second of screen time is feeding into that story
1: sure but, but like I said a lot of the time like we have moments like that where the father confronts or you know greets him and whatnot, not and, and he antagonizes him and everything but like moments like that are just so few and far between because it, it always just feels like we're either teeing something up or immediately acknowledging what happened previously like we're never we rarely feel in the moment with so many of these things and it's just because I feel like despite the fact that I think, the like, my perception of the pacing in, like improved, I still have an issue with it, just because I feel like these moments that I'm supposed to latch on to, like, his regression and redemption and all this stuff, like, it's just, it's all happening so fast, and it is, like, it's kind of necessary to really appreciate it, it has to be juxtaposed with, you know, the, the, the circus freaks, like, you know, coming into their own with their own identity, and, like, that's just not even a side cast at all. It's like, there's, there's nothing to any of the circus characters outside of Zendaya. I
0: I get that. I I, I know I'm teasing and pushing back, but I, I do understand like in principle, what you're saying. But for me, there just came a point where I do not care. Like technically I'd say, yeah, that scene should have had two more scenes leading up to it for this payoff to, you know, be perfect. And yet I feel every bit of emotion that this movie wants me to feel. And I know that, you know, there are millions of people around the world that do it as well. So, and then there are a lot of people who don't. So yeah, I, I do understand, but just for me, it, it it's just none of the, like I, I acknowledge all your complaints. So like, I, yeah, that's a problem. I don't care because I, I, like you say we don't feel it. I do kind of thing. I do. You know, I, I think I'm going to just run through some of these songs. Um, I, 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 the The rooftop scene in A Million Dreams, where they're kind of dancing and the sheets are kind of dancing along with them, and the giant moon in the background. I love the shot where uh, uh, Michelle Williams like dives off, almost like off the roof towards the camera, and he kind of catches her. It's I love that. Yeah, the choreography, the dancing, the singing. Uh, Michelle Williams is a great singer. Um, so is Hugh Jackman, but yeah, it's just fantastic. I, I just I love their relationship. They're, they're so I think they have a really great chemistry together. She is just so loving and sweet, and there's just uh, this bubbling kindness and joy about her. And then uh, th- I love the, how it ends. with the, you know, the camera kind of twirls around. It turns from the roof into the room, and it has the world we're gonna make, and she's pregnant, which is just it's, it's pre- and then like in the background you have like the, all the advertisements from his different failed business ventures, kind of cluttering the house. It's uh it's perfect to me. And then does the song come alive? Maybe my least favorite uh, song in this score- soundtrack, but when I say least favorite, I still mean I'm totally into it. I'm singing every every word alongside it and all that stuff. I do love just the way that he, like, just the way he's kind of going backstage and uh, you know putting on the stilts and stuffing the pillow up, up underneath the, uh, the the fat man and it's just kind of like trying to get them. And and, and the scene that actually really kind of mirrors that that video you're talking about where uh, they did that. This is me in, in the rehearsal. And where, where uh, Keila Settle was like terrified and she goes over to, and like it's like holding Hugh Jackman's hand. Like, this, where she
1: cried da- in that video. It's so good. It's kind
0: of like a mirror of that where she's like terrified to go out and he kind of comes up to her and like kind of talks her into it. And I just like the idea that, you know, the people, like, he, you know, he's a con man, he, he's playing, he's going to sell with controversy. But what he is, what he is telling them is that, you know, they can come and gawk for whatever reason they want what the, what they will see is a proud, you know, confident human being staring back at them, doing things that you know, doing amazing things that you can only imagine, and like before long, they will wish that that they, the audience, was special and extraordinary like you, and like you see that with the kind of things like you're know, selling the fake beards for the, that the little girl was wearing. Like it, you know, it's dancing around the whole exploitation thing, but what? what the, but the, the spin the movie is giving is that. You know, they can come, they'll pay to see. You, know, you are a family, you are a person, and you can just express yourself with pride. And that, you know, that's what they're going to see. Well, for whatever reason they came here, and whatever reason they, whatever thought process they came in with, it's still an affirmation of your humanity, you know, standing here with pride and looking them in the eye kind of thing. Yeah, I love, love the scene where, where as the, the dance number's going out, we, keep, we cut back to the daughters, and they're kind of dancing along. The, the two girls are adorable. Like the, the, the actresses who play his daughters are really good.
1: Yeah, every time they're smiling or dancing from the sidelines. I, I get why my niece Evelyn like loves this movie the way she does.
0: And then when you, then there's the other side, the one you love. And th- I, I agree. This is this. my, actually, I, don't, I really loved at the start this last viewing up until last viewing. This was my favorite piece from the, from the, the uh, movie argument. Songs are usually always my favorite in anything. And this is just, like pure musical magic. We have the two guys at the bar and the barman, the barman is the, the best character in the whole thing. Just you know, he's trying to convince uh, Zach Efron to um, come along with him. And th- those two guys have amazing chemistry together. And th- the whole thing, you know that, you know, Zach Efron's character, uh, what's his name? Um, Carlo. Carlisle.
1: Carlisle.
0: Yeah. He, you know, he's kind of sick and bored of his life, but he also doesn't want to, you know, throw it all away and join the circus, which is stupid. But, but, um, you know, P.T. Barber was able to cut him into, through this song, and just the way it kind of goes through it with the, the glasses and taking the shots and, you know, dancing around. It's just beautiful choreography that just matched so perfectly to the lyrics. And then, of course, the barman is just amazing. He's always just doing. He's like he's like Barnum's accomplice, like always doing something. Like he, well, he's just like kind of run by and set up the chair for Barnum to walk down again, or you know, live among the swallows and don't pick up peanut shells and he drops them on the floor and he just kind of comes by sweeping. Just so much fun and so intricate. Uh, but the shot, the be- my favorite shot is where they like roll their top hats along their arms and the camera comes down and they're in the circus now.
1: Um, that transitions is just
0: like the, the transitions in this movie are nuts. Um, but th- that one in, in particular, because you can tell they really shot it like that. And they go through that. <laughs> then you, you end with that shot where he falls in love with uh, Anne Wheeler, kind of comes up. Like you, Any one of us would fall in love with Zandia if that's how you met her, too.
1: Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> just
0: kind of, you, you know, the trape- trapeze is a slow motion. Like, okay, they're in love. I get it. Perfect. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, yeah, just it's just a great sequence and a great song.
1: Yeah, and I, I really love that one because, I think I mentioned before, I just, I like it whenever musical numbers play around with the environment and just, you know, kicking over the stools and using them as like steps onto the bar and dancing across there. And the fact that we have like a choreographed taking shots is awesome. It's just
0: to, the set to bargaining where each time they, uh, they get closer to taking another shot.
1: Yeah. The whole thing is fantastic. And, and yeah, that it's like I said, my favorite song in terms of choreography. I think my favorite it's just piece as a song is the greatest show. But uh, but that whole scene is is really amazing, and I, I won't try to pretend to, to fault it.
0: Um, speaking of their chemistry, there's a lot of great scenes with uh him and uh, Jackman and Efron together. Uh, I love when when they meet Jenny Lind. It's like it's like you you gotta introduce me. Like I don't know. <laughs> he's just kind of like shoving in the ribs, like just kind of shoving him in front of uh uh Jenny Lind to make you introduce him. Like, he, you can see, like he's so red faced and obviously <laughs> uncomfortable being there. And then I love the, where he talks about, you know, like, I, I'm the greatest showman on, on the East Coast, where it's like, oh, if you do say so yourself. He said, I do, but I don't have to. <laughs> he elbows Carly. is like, oh, yeah, he's, he's one of the best. Like, he's like, oh, that's very kind of you. <laughs> and he goes back to talking to, to Jenny. Um, or when she asked, you know, have you even heard me sing? And Carl goes, like, absolutely. Like, nope, <laughs> I haven't. And, he like, and, and like, he like, looks really awkward and takes a drink. Like, they're just, they're so fun together.
1: I do really like that scene when he, when he has him saying, so like, he's one of the greatest show- Oh, thank you. Just clearly he's like <laughs> nudging into a compliment the whole time.
0: And then my, fa- probably my favorite line in the movie was where, you know, you know, he's kind of, he's becoming distracted with Jenny Lind and he, he's leaving them behind. And Ed Carlisle's coming to him with all these problems. Like, you know, and just to make it clear that I want them to show you all the, res- all the respect and deference you deserve. And they should be nice to you anyway. <laughs> I just love his delivery of that line. So the next one is never enough. So I really adore this sequence and one thing i think is kind of brilliant is that in a movie that you know the movie is very anachronistic it's it's kind of taking the idea that Barnum was kind of a, was a revolutionary presence who was way ahead of his time and it, and then so by doing that they're kind of putting like pop music kind of and it's not all pop there's a, there's a lot of different styles going through it but kind of like a, a more pop modern sound of the songs in the late late 18th late 19th century I believe the whole thing's very anachronistic, and I love that. But for the opera singer, what they do is they just do a traditional musical song, like, like a, a, a song that would fit into any traditional musical, a you know, period piece musical, is now what is opera in this world, which I think is just kind of brilliant because nobody wants to hear opera. Nobody, even people who like opera, don't want to hear opera. But <laughs> I just I think it's a great idea. Um, and this might be the best lip syncing I've ever seen in my life because Rebecca Ferguson isn't singing and it was the song was actually sung by a singer named Lauren Alrid but even like knowing that she's not singing i think the, the there's a physicality to like like you like uh, Rebecca Ferguson is like putting in the effort you can like see her neck muscles straining and uh, just something about the, the emotion she's able to bring like i believe she is singing despite knowing she isn't every time I think it's a, a very powerful song. It's, it's beautifully shot. I love the scene where the the the, uh, the curtain comes up and like we see her from behind. She's like bathed in light. Um, it's really good. But I love what the storytelling that kind of happens in this song. Just the, the look on P.T. Barnum's face as he's watching her, where he is just transfixed. I, I mean, obviously it's, it's Rebecca Ferguson, so this Ferguson, so that's understandable, but. I love that. Like she is essentially singing a song that, that that is describing you know his very soul, the things that have been driving him, and you're know, seeing in her this kind of kindred spirit spirit who like understands exactly, even if you know he even if he doesn't know what he's doing at that moment where he is he's falling in love with her in a way, just because you know, that that song is exactly who he is, and she probably knows it as well. But, like, just the the, 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 you know, the never enough, you know, the shine of a thousand spotlights, it could never be enough. And just the look in his eyes is is amazing. But, but what's happening is also other things happening where you have, you know, kind of Carlisle and Anne kind of falling in love with this, like, little light, delicate hand touch. You know, there's, there's all this kind of fear about it. And while that's happening, happening, um, his wife, Charity, is like, you know, first she's obviously transfixed by by, uh, by Jenny Lind. And then she sees her husband. You can see, like, the, she sees him and probably knows exactly what's going through his head at, at the moment. And then um, Carlisle's parents, they look back and see him, and he kind of lets go of her hand. And, like, the look of, like, absolute shame and misery in Efron's face, like, he can't even bring himself to look at Anne, and... Uh, like the pain in her face when when he lets go of her hand and she walks out and just, we get that close up on Zac Efron and he's amazing. But just, I love that there are so many different conflicts and story beats being played out in this, within this amazing, powerful song, all without dialogue with just visual storytelling and kind of, you know, the use of eyelines and perspective with the camera. I think it's, it's a great piece of direction. It kind of, you know, gets overlooked with the more flashy numbers, which I also love, but I think, just as far as like pure visual storytelling, i think this this sequence is pretty brilliant and it's all set to that amazing song
1: yeah the scene itself is really great uh i agree with you the the lip syncing here is truly flawless uh and i was gonna say everything that you you already said is just like looking at her like her neck muscles she's straining just her body language you know she 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 just moves herself forward like like she's hitting these notes and everything. It's really, really great.
0: Yeah, she's she's doing everything that the lovely young man that played P. G. Barnum didn't do in A Million Dreams.
1: <laughs> yeah, there you go. At least he has the decency to lip-sync poorly to songs he really sang. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, but I think in a film that is so, you know, chock-full of these huge, extravagant numbers, I do like that they just... It feels different from those, both stylistically and just for you know where it is in the story. You know, clearly this is something different for Barnum. You um, know, it's like I, I just for once I'd like to give him something real. Like, there's just something strict. Which is
0: which he's saying that we cut to uh, his, his you know his, his normal troop, is like he's essentially saying you know they're not real. They're just circus yeah. freaks at the same time. And I just like the, the whole idea of chasing, like you know he's he's gotten the wealth. He's gotten success. But now he needs their respect, and so he's 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 chasing the love and adoration, and also he wants belonging with this 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 you know high snooty class that's very insular. But again, you know that the, that one line from her father instantly cuts him down because he knows deep down inside, like saying you're just the tailor's boy shouldn't mean anything. The whole class system is stupid and and meaningless, and yet. He, P.T. Barnum, believes it, it. means everything. And even though you know he's risen to success, he's kind of "quote unquote" accepted in those circles. He still believes he's just the Taylor's boy. And the, you know her father knows it is able to you know, cut him down again. Yeah. So I really love that sequence. Uh, then that leads into uh, you know this is me. I love just the kind of defiance in this. This it's like they're like a, a they're kind of like marching in time and just this kind of. the the pride in who they are and as they're they're walking out into crowds that are kind of either shocked or, or, you know, downright hostile with the the mob of protesters and just they're, they're there marching across the snowy street, their heads held high with just this, this air of defiance and like righteous anger in it. And I think that just all of the, all of the dancers in that line are really good. Um, And then later on, I love Zendaya's choreography. as like, she's like, um, Carlisle's like watching through a window and there's, she, there's something so angry and vicious about her choreography. Which, which, you know, like, this is me looking at him like it just kind of this pure defiance. Um, the line, you know, I'm not scared to be seen. I make no apologies. This is me. And like, she's like looking at him in anger. And then she kind of looks back to her family as they kind of all come together. And like with all, with, with love, it's, Again, like just really great visual storytelling, and I think really fantastic performance. And Aquila and Settle is just that woman can sing; it's amazing. Yeah. And I think, like, just the, the pain and sadness she can portray in her eyes—it's—it's—it uh, it's, hurts.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I would kind of, kind of already went through my issues and like the build up to it. But just talking about the the song itself, um, it's an amazing song. It's one that I already had stuck in my head, like before seeing the movie, just because of how, you know, how popular it got. Um, it also features another like instance of really, really good transition, uh, just from the mm-hmm. streets onto the stage. Um, yeah, I I like that one a lot. I wish, I wish there was like more courtyard like, just going on in terms of like the arrangement and everything but just the scene itself is really really cool.
0: I, I do love the way they they're kind of a, a united front. Like it, it looks like a military procession and they're all they're facing us. And it's like they're, 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 they 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 are this group of family that is going to stand together and you know face the the slings and arrows of the world. It, it's all very unified in that.
1: You want to see a unified force? You got to see the newsies. <laughs> This is better than the newsies. Um, mm, yes, no, absolutely. Not, no, not, at a single. not at all.
0: These people can sing. That's what this shut wins. Your mouth. <laughs> and they actually have a director who can direct musical sequences and not just stick the camera in the corner. Um, <laughs> mm. uh, so next one is We're At The Stars. You know, I, I've, I've been jabbering a lot. Uh, what, do you, what do you have to say about this number?
1: Uh, I like the song itself a lot. And I think uh, – the scene itself is really, really cool. I like it whenever musical numbers just allow themselves to just like not care at all about physics or logic or anything and just like go totally fantastical with it, so so grabbing onto the ropes and spinning around and just using the whole environment as like this set to play around with as if there are no rules there. It's really, really cool. Um so just just as an isolated scene, I, I like it a lot.
0: <laughs> I like how you have to keep uh, emphasizing as isolated scenes. <laughs>
1: sorry, sorry. Well, it's just uh, you know it. I I'll stop saying. But it's <laughs> again my problem with a lot of these numbers. That I feel like it's it's like the exclamation point on on a something that didn't really feel too present prior to the exclamation point. But the scene itself is great.
0: I love this song. I think it's just a great song. It's very well performed. Um, I love this the kind of synth uh, rhythm underneath it all. I think is really fun. Um, you know, speaking of you, know, all the different styles that are present here, and I think this this is up. I don't. I'm not ready to say it's my favorite musical number of all time, but I think it's probably at least in my top five. Just movie musical sequences. I think the the the. The way the lyrics, the cinematography, the performances, and the choreography are all matched together is just flawless. There's one sequence in particular where after she brings down the hoop, and they're like dancing in and around and through the hoop as the camera's spinning around. It's like, it's like a 10, 15 second take. And like they, they, their bodies go through motions that I don't even understand exactly. Like It's so... Tightly choreographed in and around the hoop, as the camera's spinning around and they're singing, it's amazing. And then as as they go into you know up up in the trapeze and they're spinning around each other, jumping, catching each other, is so much gorgeous cinematography and just Seamus McGarvey, like all all these sequences are really beautifully shot. But this sequence in particular is incredible. But I also just look look, at the kind of the story there, like whether or not you think the setup was that. I think Zendaya shows in her eyes and her performance the pain that you know she's felt all her life like just like even earlier in the movie, the simple things like will will we, will we all be invited to meet the queen or just like when you know, when he's with her in never enough and let's go of her hand or the moment her you know his parents confront her at the theater like you can see in her face that she has felt this all her life that you know it's just the way that people have treated her and looked at her and and I think there's there's a knowledge that that she knows but he doesn't, you know, as it, within the song of of you know rewrite the stars where she knows that you know being a black woman in this world is you know painful enough, but if she you know gets together with a white man, that pain is going to you know double. Going to be, the world is going to be even more hateful to that. You know, she's holding back in fear, and whereas you know he, he doesn't know that. You know, he 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 probably you know, he not having felt the initial pain of you know being you know in being um you know hated for her for his skin color, like he can't imagine what it would be like for her if you know she was to take on this this romance, um and like all of that is kind of happening. I think a lot, you no, know, it's not in the dialogue, but I think it's really radiated through her performance and through his and you know, like that's why like even though I do agree that a lot of things that should be there aren't. I still see it all in the performances and in, in you know, just in the songs and in, in all that. Um, there's two more. Uh, then there's a tight rope. Uh, this is Michelle Williams number. Again, she's a fa- really fantastic singer. Um, I just love the you know the dialogue you know, never sure you'll catch me if I should fall, but it's all an adventure that comes with a breathtaking view. You know, it really speaks to who she's and you know, why she fell in love with Byron. You know, now she's you know she's been left behind as he you know he, he's still pursuing the success he always sucked, But now she's been left behind, and she just she seemed you know she didn't come for the success. You know, she could have had you know, she could have had this the life she now has. She could have had that without him. You know, she came you know to be with him to see the world through his eyes to you know experience the crazy adventure of a, you know, a mad visionary. Um, and another, you know, she's dancing with the current that kind of turns into a phantom, and I think it's just, again, you're very beautifully illustrating the whatever emotions she's going through and where, and where we should be. But also, it was really cool. It ends, like, she kind of leans against the window, and, it, and then the, it go, the camera goes to the window, and it's on Jenny Lynn's face. That's mirroring a shot from a, uh, In a Million Dreams, where like, they're leaning on the window together, like, she's at the school, and the kind of camera goes through the window, and he's you know, leaning against it on the street is kind of mirroring that as as their relationship is now in danger. You know, by going to Jenny Lind instead of a, a Barnum, which you might as well talk about right now. Ah, uh, I I think my biggest criticism of the film is how it uses Jenny Lind. I think you know Rebecca Rebecca Ferguson is fantastic, and I, I I totally buy her falling in love with him. He's Hugh Jackman, so obviously, but also just you know, kind of two kindred spirits who are in a world they don't they, they that they don't belong in who and I, I totally believe him falling in love with her as someone who you know, who has that same hunger and desire and you know this 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 insatiable desire for more and you know bigger and grander things so like that like the the threat of a romance between them is, is completely understandable and I love that when it comes up and when she tries to, and also I think I think she is she is like seducing him from minute one, like in all the scenes they're together, like she, I like she, you can tell she is like coming at him in different ways, and then when it finally comes together, I, I love that that it doesn't become an adultery subplot because that would have ruined everything. Like I love I love P T Barnum, you can't do that, so I I like that it doesn't go there, but what I I don't understand. Is why this character who has been presented as you know, so, uh, like someone who gives you know, most of her money to you know widows and orphans, and and you know from all for all intents and purposes seems to be a very decent character. Obviously, you know falling in love with a married man and trying to seduce him—that's that's that's, not, that's very not good. But to then instantly turn into this vengeful, venomous person who is now going to destroy barnum's entire you know his reputation his entire livelihood his family's livelihood all because he said no to her it just that, that comes out of nowhere <laughs> you know it just it just that doesn't entirely feel earned. you know it doesn't feel in line with you know this very sympathetic character she's been and what is even weirder is that i feel like the filmmakers want us to sympathize with her heartbreak in that moment you tell me you know You can't you can't play with people something like when you play with people's hearts or whatever like as if like she has some legitimate grievance against him which I don't which feels completely ridiculous especially considering you know the things she does to him Uh, it's just I really feel like they did her character wrong in making her so evil at the end like that even though I don't think the film thinks she's all that evil like they're really trying to emphasize her pain and heartbreak and yet what she does to him is like beyond any like it's so completely out of left field and just wrong
1: yeah that that sequence is really really annoying and like i i didn't want like an adultery subplot but i don't know i feel like we should have had more leading there like teasing out the potential like the dangers of being gone for so long for longer like you know she she approaches him on that couch With this like manner that like, it feels like she expected this. You know, like this is something that he's been teasing as well. Like she, she's right to assume that this is where it would go. But it's like we don't really get that from any previous scene. I mean, I I think we we can infer a lot from him looking at her.
0: I think all the previous scenes she is trying to get him there in the previous scenes. Whereas he is, I think he's in love with her, but doesn't know it.
1: Again, see, like, the ideas like that would, I just, I think would be a lot more interesting if if dealt with at all, as opposed to just, like, the <laughs> the final scene and something I, I, that...
0: Because I, 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 I don't think it's, I think all of this is, well, I do agree as Rush, I think all of this is happening in every scene that either of them is present in. Just, so there's a lot of subtext, a lot of glances, a lot of lines that are kind of leading on.
1: Sure. It's it's it feels like the whole middle part of it is gutted. Like we've got this Fair enough. teasing. Uh but anyways, and then yeah, like the the end. I'm with you like that that was the problem that I had at first and I thought, you know, maybe I missed something in my second viewing it was still there's just this idea that the filmmakers feel like there's supposed to even be a shred of empathy. Like, you know, like we with her lines that she says to him before running off. And then just like the really sad last performance and, you know, just how shrill her voice is and, you know, her heavy breathing and everything like great acting. But... Fantastic. Probably in, in my opinion, like the, like I, I think I said earlier, just some of the best acting in the whole movie. It's a, it's amazing, but it doesn't make sense. I don't care about her. And the kiss just makes me I'm like, Oh, you were the worst person in the world. And <laughs> And it all feel like it the reason why like I think that this is a, a big problem for me is because along with the the fire, like this is what puts Barnum at his low. Like this is the hole he has to dig himself out of at the very end. And so for like this last like blow to his character, uh the thing his wife sees that causes her to just you know in addition in addition with everything with the house it's just like it sets her over the edge i'm like but it just it shouldn't even be here or, or it's maybe it should it's just it's done so weirdly and i don't know like him him in the bar even though i love the song from now on it's like man i wish i cared about why you got here and i wish it made more sense
0: i think it makes sense i think I, like he has been you know, he created this thing that gave him the opportunity to have the life he always wanted, but then, you know, he kind of abandoned it left behind, you know, and is like, again, you know, he's becoming demeaning to the, the people he wants empowered. you know, he's kind of starting to abandon now and leave behind, leaving behind his family, just chasing this dream, and so for sure. that all to come crashing down around him, it just makes sense. That's how stories go.
1: But the, it's, it's not just that, it's... He comes back initially, and she's like, hey, why are you back? He's like, oh, I just... I forget what he said. But, like, him being gone wasn't ultimately... Like, he's back, and it seems like pretty quickly all is forgiven. It's the picture that ends up changing things. And one, it's just... The, the, I,
0: the picture and total bankruptcy.
1: Well, there's that. There's that little thing. But, first of all, and I don't know End how far I can, you know, criticize this, but I've, I'm really... It's so over the whole. It's not what it looks like. like I don't. I don't
0: thing. know that she ever believed. It. I think she was just. She was mad that he put himself in that position. That's now leading that. You know, even if it's not true, and she does. Even if she doesn't believe it's true, she still has to live with that shame. Now in the with whatever circles they're within. He put him. He was. He stupidly put himself in a position he shouldn't have been in with this other woman. And you know, whether or not he ever totally acted appropriately. It's it's it is hurting their family, yeah. And I think she's she, she's mad. And they also he lost their family home, and she's being you know she's being evicted. Like there's a, there's there's a lot of righteous anger in there, even if she doesn't believe he actually cheated on her. I I, I say I say I I don't believe she actually believes it because like it never you you know the scene they have together again. Like her main anger is you know i never mind the, i never i never minded the risk we just we always did it together her main anger is not at oh you cheated on me it's at just the way he stupidly gambled away their family's livelihood again you know again on this needless you know quest for uh affirmation
1: but then that just makes me wonder, like why do we even need that like i think we could that's
0: the movie. That's the, no, no. I mean, I
1: mean the, the kit, like the setup, cause, cause if it, if it's oh, ultimately not about that, sure, sure. It just, we don't Let really me. need that. And then, but even that, cause
0: it's good drama.
1: <laughs> is it? But even the conflict, like her, uh, her being upset with him, again, that's just resolved so quickly. Like it just takes walking up to her on the beach. And I, I get, again, it's Hugh Jackman. Like I'd forgive the man for doing probably anything. He's great. But <laughs> It's just you know I'm going to my parents. Okay, well I'll go there. But he
0: you know he comes up to her after singing a song about how he's
1: seen the light. That's how it happens. Well, there you go. I guess she supernaturally felt the song in the past and the passion. Like she saw it in his eyes. There we go. Know, but again, like that's just that's just one more instance of me being like, man, where's the work? It's just it's like the we <laughs> run into a bump and like it's it's fixed now. It's it's fine. We it's all good. Move on. <laughs>
0: Uh, Okay, that brings us to from now on, which is my favorite song, my favorite actual song to listen to outside the film. I I I love, I always love, you know, when when friends gather around someone at their low point in movies. it, It warms the heart, and the whole notion that you know he gave these people a home, he brought them together, gave them a family, gave them the courage and confidence to, you know, present themselves to the world, you know, without shame, with pride. And even though he you know he forgot he forgot what he was doing he, why he was doing things he left them behind he even, you know he even contributed in keeping them down but they they are still there for him and like the hope that he originally gave them is still there with them, and so they are going they're coming even though he wronged them you know they're coming kind of t- around him to return the favor in the end as he's doing you know, the bar drinking and miserable um it's just you know I think you know beautiful little thing of forgiveness and remembering you know why this all happened in the first place is you know, his family giving these people a home and the commitment to now you know from now on to focus on what this has always been about you know going back home the family just the love it's just you know, it's it's all very simple Hallmark stuff but. The way it's the way it's sung out, I find very powerful. And th- this this song, in particular, the beat in this song, is like addictive.
1: It starts the, the, tonight. I love I love listening. Yeah, to
0: it. and just the way it comes, I I always almost cry listening to it. And just the joy of you know a, a home and family and love rediscovered, and the promise to the future to you know never again forget it. Um, and then. Giving him his hat as, you know, and we will come back home. And I love it. She's hands the hat that he runs out and is singing from now on. He's catching the train and he's going home to his family where he you know, always should have been. And it's beautiful. <laughs> and what, one thing I know is like, there are the, the a lot of the score is kind of orchestrations of the song. Like yeah. when, when they're having the the, the 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 tearful apology to his wife on the beach. There's a beautiful orchestration of "From Now On" playing in the background, which is just like kind of like the perfect Icy on the cake. And then the sunset the stars and the for
1: for yeah. her with him, Philip and and yeah.
0: And the, because speaking of that beat, I think the brilliance of this soundtrack and the reason it's so well it's so well loved is that every song has its own like irresistible rhythm at the center that just gets into your blood. That you that you can't help get, get, by getting into, it. even if it's a slow song, you know, a love song, a sad song, fast, you know, triumphant. Each one has its own like beat and rhythm that is just so addictive and just kind of enthralling. You just uh, coming back to the you, just surrender because you feel the feeling taking over. That's how I feel with every single song. Like I cannot help if I, if I start it, I have to listen to it all the way through, and of course, I have to sing along. <laughs> Paul and Pasek are, I think, they're geniuses. Like they're, they're, their score for Lawland La is fantastic, even though it's only like five songs. Like, and they're also they're also writing uh, stuff for Aladdin, which I'm really looking forward to. But like these guys, if they can keep, they're going to go far because there's just there is something special about this music. And you know, I think the, the the film's success, I think, is 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 like probably about fifty percent to them. The other fifty percent to Hugh Jackman. Like, what are your thoughts on the songs overall? Like, just the quality of the music.
1: There, I think there's no argument to be made against the songs. Even if it's not your cup of tea, because I, I mean, it is very much in the like kind of the pop genre, and that's kind of an easy target for a lot of people. The quality of writing, the rhythms, the just everything about it. Like you said, I'm not disagreeing with anything you said. There is that just that bass melody and beat and rhythm to every single song. That makes them completely unique, even though a lot of them, like most of them fall into the same genre. They're still very, very unique and easy, easily differentiable from each other. Um, And so, yeah, the music, like the music itself is fantastic. The singing is fantastic. No issues there, despite that being a sticking point for a lot of people. I haven't cared about like... a pro, like time period appropriate music since A Night's Tale. So <laughs> it's never going to bother yeah. me. Yeah.
0: It's like, it's, it's, the movie is, this, this is, this never claimed to be the real world. It's a freaking music. And
1: I'm, all, I'm also really glad that we've just been able to completely avoid the silly criticism of this is a sanitized version of the story. This isn't what he was like. Those, that... Oh, I'm going to talk about that. Oh, later. man. <laughs> what a, what <laughs> well,
0: a, we, we talk about reaction. I hate it
1: so much. Uh, I
0: have many, many choice words about that. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you'll be with me. <laughs> Uh, We could stand together as brethren, brothers in arms. Um, I think I think we're about to uh, we're gonna start wrapping this up. Um, So James, I am terrified. Uh, What do you rate this film out of five stars?
1: I don't know. I for me, if I'm just giving a star ranking that just is indicative of my overall feelings, it's closer to like two and a half. Where. I just, I'm not leaning one way Uh, or the other. I'm mostly a bit, like, I'm, I will say. I'm in pain, I'm I'm genuinely, genuinely happy that people love this. That this and La La Land both made over $400 million makes me so excited. Because I really love musicals. And I'm. And uh, Beauty and the Beast made a billion. Well, there you go. Uh, I'm hoping that that's not just completely written off to like, oh, well, it's just a Disney thing. Because I, I love musicals. I I really hope that they're able to stay around in a powerful way and they don't die off. Like, and I also love like these kind of musicals that are more upbeat. I don't think I don't want everything to just be lay Mis and you know things like that. Like, I need my happy, cool, fun, colorful musicals as well.
0: Or La La Land, for that matter. Just if you're talking tonally,
1: La La Land is perfection. That
0: it has its moments of joy, but it's not. That's not its main thing.
1: La La Land makes me happier than almost anything in the world. <laughs> but, anyways, my point, like I just, I'm really, really happy that this sat so well with so many people. Uh, one because I, I don't begrudge anybody for loving this, and I don't think they're even wrong for loving it. It's, it is so boisterous and how joyful it is, and there's clearly, like you said, there's clearly a level of just unfiltered passion for it that everybody here has and I like it whenever that level of passion and hard work is rewarded so despite my own ambivalence towards it I am much I'm more positive than negative simply because I prefer to see a movie that put in a hard work from its cast and like a lot of passion from from the whole crew I prefer to see that get rewarded than than not so and so I'm happy that it's succeeding
0: so what is your star rating <laughs> two and a half (laughs) so um i give this four stars i there's a bit of kind of fear and tripling giving that because i know i am very aware of the flaws of this film like i agree with probably about 70 percent of your criticisms in part like this film has a lot of fundamental issues and yet every time i watch it, i just i do not care i i don't think there's a single other movie in existence where i spend as much time just smiling while watching this film brings me so much joy every you know all the performances the musical sequences just spending time with these characters in this world with this um, incredible these incredible songs and it's just it's like it's they found joy they captured it and stuck it on film and that's what this movie is for me it's just a Expression of the joy of creation, of you know, self expression, of you know, an art artist's showing off to the world, and also uh, I think it has a lot of great themes. You know, about you know, love and acceptance, and you know, not being a jerk to people who are different than you, and you know, taking pride in the things that make us unique. Like, uh, but but you know, covering them in a way that everyone can you know get on board with, and I think like movies like this, you walk out of it wanting to be a better person. You know, you want. You know, wanting to treat others, you know the people that are different from you with more respect and love and kindness. Like I think just movies like this make people better. And sure, it is it cheesy and shallow in the way it handles it? Absolutely. And yet it does that. it it's I think it it's good for the world in that way. just the joy it brings and the love it 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 encourages in people. So I just this movie makes me very, very happy. And even though yes, it has a lot of problems, and normally would probably be about three point five, I just I have to give it four because I it makes me so much happier than many films that I can acknowledge are far better. I guess uh, I guess objective three point five, subjective four stars. So as far as the uh, the box office, uh, it earned $174 million domestically and two hundred sixty million in the foreign markets for a worldwide total of a four hundred thirty four million on its eighty four million dollar budget. So it ended up making a very solid profit. However, I there's something very special about how much money it made uh, and and how it got there. I normally don't go into the kind of the nitty gritty details of the box office, you know, they're kind of complicated. I'm not even sure I, I fully understand it myself, but I feel like it's very necessary to get into the details in discussing this film. So normally a film will make you know the, the lion's share of its box office, you know, right out the gate in the opening weekend. And then, you know, have a roughly a uh, 50% drop until the next week. And then going forward to have about 30 to 60% drop each weekend, until you know it leaves theaters, um, and if a film doesn't make back a large chunk of its production budget on the opening weekend, it will nearly always bomb. That's just how it works. You know, you make a lot of money at the start, and less and less as it goes. What happened for this film is pretty incredible. You know, it has an eighty-four million dollar budget, so it needs to make, uh, you know, roughly uh like two hundred million to you know to make it to to start making money, and it opened to fourteen million. It's actually it's number forty nine on the worst openings for a ride released film. Um you know, by all calculations normal you know by normal statistics, it would have been a massive bomb. But the next week, instead of dropping, its box office jumped seventy six percent. Like normally films drop sixty percent. This dr- jumped up seventy six percent in the money it made. The next weekend, it jumped a hundred and thirty seven percent from. The, from, from the 76 uh, the 76 percent jump it jumped up another 137 percent in the money it was making. It didn't even start dropping until it's like fourth weekend or t- until its third weekend and it wasn't the usual 30 or 60 percent it dropped by 11 percent and then it jumped back up on its fourth weekend and then and then when it finally started dropping it was like in tiny increments of like you know 15 percent 10. percent It didn't even reach like 20 a 20 drop until like its sixth weekend. Which is it's which is just unheard of. Movies always, you know, kind of pretty much always go down in box office. This this film just it made almost made very little at the start, then then made more and more, and then just stayed very steady, you know, making just a a decent chunk of money every week for you know months going into the next year, and it just had this crazy run, you know, it was never it was never number one at the box office, and it opened up against the Last Jedi and and jumanji both huge hits and yet people saw it they went out told their friends that you know they went back and saw it. you know, i saw it three times people kept coming back they re-released the movie as a sing-along version like and and then just the, the positive word of mouth and the social media buzz just kept this movie alive till you know what would have been by any conventional knowledge a terrible bomb it ended up being this pretty good-sized success just because people just kept on you know kept on going back and seeing it and they were very passionate in telling their friends, like, James, like, I, I hounded you for months to go see this movie, and apparently that didn't work out all that well. But still, like, you, people who like this movie, they made sure everyone else you know, in their circles knew it, and that just that just paid off in spades for, you know, it just, it's just a testament to what the audience thought about this movie. So as far as the critical reception, uh, it got very mixed reviews from critics. It holds a 56% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 48% on Metacritic. There are two primary criticisms uh, that either one or both kind of appear in pretty much all the negative reviews. Um, one is that it's you know very vapid and shallow. The, there's very little substance, all show, no tell, like a lot, pretty much in line with a lot of your criticisms. The other primary criticism is that it wasn't true to P.T. Barnum's real life, that in real life he was morally dubious at best and often exploited those in his shows. And you know, probably wasn't, wasn't this real you know, great philanthropist of empowerment. Um, you know, pretty much all the negative reviews are either focused on one, you know, either one, you know, the former or the latter, or both. Um, however, the audiences they quite liked it for the most part. It holds an eighty-six percent on the Rotten Tomatoes uh, audience meter and a seven point four on the audience ranking on Metacritic. I, I do want to talk about those criticisms, like, and I, I want to address this in a second. Like, I am, I do not, I legitimately am confused and like befuddled. By how real professional film critics that do this for a living still don't understand that movies make things up. Like we, film has been around for over a hundred years, and since the big, the dawn of 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 you know of based on a true story films have you know massively shuffle things around, change things, or just made up things, stories whole cloth about historical figures because history is boring and it doesn't work like movies. So the fact that someone who gets paid to do this and is respected as like a real film critic can actually think that saying it didn't really happen like that in real life counts as a real criticism is is bizarre to me. Like we know this, we've been doing this for a hundred years. When are you going to get into your head that movies make things up and you know the movie chooses the story it wants to tell? And you no, know, it doesn't. It doesn't have to be true to history because they they never have been. Like going back to historical novels before film or historical plays, like Shakespeare did this. Like, how do people think this is like you? This is you're doing your job if you just if you focus on sheep ridiculous shallow and ultimately meaningless criticism because the film has its right to choose the kind of story it's going to tell and this film was very clear from the opening is this you know very almost surreal musical like it it's not trying to be a historical drama and it never claimed to be so the fact that so many reviews talked about this is just bizarre
1: as as someone who is more critical of the film i really hate that criticism one it's we we are not looking to reviewers and critics to be historians. If historians want to look at this film and tell us what's wrong and the differences, that's one thing. But as a reviewer, you are critiquing it as a film. You are critiquing its pacing, its plot, its acting, its effects—the things that make it a film. It doesn't take what in one you are. You're not qualified, like, anybody can look up, a like, Google an article about the differences. We don't need critics to do that. And to masquerade it as an actual critique of the film, it's just, I I definitely share your complete frustration with that. Uh, It's the exact same way I feel about criticisms of adaptations where it wasn't like this in the book. It wasn't like this in real life. It was. I don't care. There are other people who can point out these differences, but for a reviewer whose whose job is to critique it as an art, (laughs) there's no place there.
0: And there's so many. There's so many reviews saying like, well, I'd rather they made like a dark, brooding drama about how he exploited his workers and was really true and gritty and faithful to the real life story, like that is fundamentally at its soul a different movie like this is a joyful musical that's trying to inspire people and make the world happier and better like the the saying i wanted a dark gritty musical says nothing about the film it just just says that you like dark movies like it doesn't it doesn't say anything about the movie it just reveals that you are incapable of laying aside your expectations and accepting a movie for what it chooses to be you like, how does a review, like, someone become a critic and still think they have the right to demand that the movie be what they wanted it to be? It's just, that's so freaking arrogant. Like, if you don't like the movie, okay, talk about it. And, you know, something them do. And, you know, I am very sympathetic to the people who have, you know, more technical criticisms, but the fact that so many reviews, even the, even the log line from Rotten, the Rotten Tomatoes, you know, the greatest showman tries hard to dazzle the audience with Barnum-style a sense of wonder, but at the expense of his complex subjects, far more intriguing real-life story. Like, what the hell does that have to do with the movie? You just you're just saying what it didn't do, which is which doesn't it, matter.
1: Yeah, it never promised, and it's also ironic. Like the film is also very meta in in a way that I view as both positive and negative. Uh, in how it deals with the the theater critic. Uh, <laughs> What I dislike about that is it feels it it creates this false dichotomy of either you mm. love this movie or you hate the cinema and you're a fraud <laughs> and
0: it with an acknowledgement of how silly you know shallow and cheesy he is, he is originally there is still the character ends up being far more complex yeah, and layered it's, than it's and funny. sympathetic.
1: I, I, than, I identify with him more than anyone else at the very end where it's like <laughs> I don't really care for this. But I'm glad others did. <laughs> I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. that's me. Uh, but yeah. I do, I still, I, I bring it up because I, one of the things it does that I do enjoy, even though I have issue with the line, you know, it's like, a, you know, a theater critic who can't take joy in the theater, all this and that. Um, whenever he brings up the fact, you know, like you're you're a fake, you're a fraud, you're selling all of this and it's not real. And, you know, you have the great line, like, are those smiles do those smiles look fake you know like this there's a level of real joy what does it matter what the real story is and like that's really it's nice. like what does it matter if what i'm selling is real like they this fictitious barnum is doing what the creators are doing they're they're repackaging something just to make it more joyful to strike a certain chord with audiences
0: and there's that line later on where people come to my show for the pleasure of being hoodwinked like there's a relationship between you, know, between the trickster and the audience, in that way.
1: Exactly. I mean, it's the same thing. Like, it's why we go see magicians. Nobody's there genuinely believing they're dabbling in some sort of dark arts. We all know it's mm-hmm. fake, and nobody, nobody is going to. This isn't spotlight. You know, this isn't. This isn't parading itself to be. You know, the, the grim true story. It's. I I really really hate that criticism, and one of the reasons I hate that criticism is for me. I I think the movie does a lot right, but I also think that just on a technical level, there's a lot of things that I just I I think in terms of the craft, it didn't do super well, and I I feel a stronger level of camaraderie with people who enjoyed this film than people who didn't, because I don't really I I don't often relate with. Many of the negative criticisms because they're just talking about it in a completely different way.
0: Yeah, so I have two things to say about that. Like, first off, I think it's it's a lazy, cheap shot to create a critic character in your movie. Like, you could do better. Come on, that's kind of, that's kind of childish. Like this, when M Night Shyamalan did it late in the water as well. Although, I, I, although again, I think we do have to acknowledge that the character does become sympathetic at the end, and and not by like oh writing a rate review, but, but but a more balanced. As you said, you know, I, I don't, I still don't like it, but at least the people do. So, like, it's sure it's kind of balanced at the end, but it is kind of s- silly and cartoonish. And yet, and yet, the critics literally became that critic from the movie. They become the caricature about this of. of Do, does
1: movie. it
0: bother you that everything you're selling is fake? Like, they're literally writing that reviews. Like, ah. so one acknowledging that it's a silly, cheap shot, and yet the critics rising to the challenge and becoming as pathetic and childish and shallow in their reviews. Is kinda of hilarious. Yeah. But on, on the second on the second thing I wanted to say about it is you know, I love that line, you know, I never liked your show, but I but I think the people did. And that's something I I had to think about. Like speaking of let's say movies like uh, Black Panther and Captain Marvel, two movies that, you know, are deep, you know, widely loved and you know, celebrated, a lot of people like them. And I I think they're okay. And there is there is an there's a kind of instinctual reaction in me and a lot of other people. To when you don't like a movie that everyone else likes, to it's it's kind of it's really irritating. Like if like I see all these problems, why do these people love it? And it's probably how you felt for this entire review, James. <laughs> like I see all these problems. How can you love this movie to you know to go online and to start just ranting you know, about how all these problems and try trying to, to to crush the joy out of other people in this movie? And that, that, that's something yeah, I I can be pretty bad at uh, bad at and thinking about th- this movie especially. Just about, you know the, the the value of just appreciating the joy in others even if you can't share it yourself i think it's something that we all need, especially online need to to be mindful of i don't much like captain marvel at black earth but looking around people do they're you know they're inspired by it. they have you know, they've had a lot of fun with it. like great good for you and i i, I this mean just myself i find that i have to work on is you're not you know, that my first instinct when someone likes something I didn't is to try try and and you know, crush crush that little bit of joy. I think is you know, it's, it's a very bad and destructive instinct in us that I think you know, I don't I don't think we, like I don't think we have to you know compromise our principles or you know say it was good or even or even like we we you can write your negative reviews, but I think we we especially and critics as well and as I'm including myself in all this should learn to, you know, vicariously appreciate the joy of others, even in things we don't like. That's something this movie taught me.
1: Well, there you go. You know, look, this movie's got lust. I mean, I, I think that's, I, I very much share in that same, um, problem. Uh, especially after rogue one was like the only one of the new star Wars films to be fully embraced by, uh, old fans and it's my least despite loving it, it's my least favorite uh, it made me very it, like bitter against that film and so whenever you see that, those kinds of ideas in these movies, I really do appreciate that, just be like hey <laughs> I mean it's, it's encapsulated in that one meme where it's a man closing the other man's mouth and it's like hey, let people like things <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I I like that idea that's running th- like running in this movie. Yeah.
0: All right. So as far as awards, uh, this is me received both an Oscar and Golden Globe nominations for best original song. It won the Golden Globe, but lost the Oscar to Remember Me from Coco. But the funny thing about this film is that if This Is Me wasn't nominated, I could see every single other movie in this film being nominated, and it totally being fair. Like every one of these is a great. Like look at how many like. Fairly mediocre songs get to be nominated for best original song. Like th- th- this film, any one of his lineup could have you know been nominated and, and uh, you know had a chance. I think Hugh Jackman also received a Golden Globe nomination uh, for best actor in a musical or comedy, uh, but he lost to James Franco in The Disaster Artist, a movie that also starred Zac Efron. Well, not starred; he had a cameo. That's right. Who was he in it? He was uh, the crazy, the crazy dude that was drunk to the best bully. threatening <laughs> the poor. Sa- you know useless sap on the roof with a with gun or whatever that's right
1: so as far as the film's legacy this is definitely a future classic among audiences
0: it's going to be like a bigger version of newsies where the, the critics probably will still hate it and criticize it but I, I i can't even say cult because of how widespread it is but it's going to be interesting
1: yeah and i i don't know i don't think it's going to enjoy the same legacy as things like uh singing in the rain uh just because of its lack of critical staying power, but it's it has already embedded itself into too many family favorites list to be forgotten anytime soon. Um, and so I think I've already kind of touched on its legacy, but I, I think uh, it along with La La Land will make the road to like getting a green light and production going for future musicals far less bumpy. Um, um because of There's
0: talk of a sequel, yeah.
1: So I think if anything, its legacy is going to be proof that there's always going to be an audience for musicals that are just wrapped in in heart and joy um, so I'm betting that we'll we'll have a more tangible uh, idea of of its legacy years from now if we see these future things because we I mean we always get them every now and then with things like hairspray and and whatnot but like
0: the last big push I feel like would have been like Chicago and Moulin Rouge or something
1: yeah. And so I think this hopefully the back to back punch of the, of these two movies will, will give us a a, re- a much needed in my opinion resurrection of genuinely like genuine quality musicals.
0: Yeah, and just speaking to the reception of so, this like the Greatest Showman reimagined thing came out like a full year after the movie came out like it was still popular enough to release that album and people were still talking about it and you know playing the songs. And you you got that the time later. you can
1: stream the Greatest Showman sing along now. Yeah, like there's uh, yeah. there's so much with this film. There's so much love that's still there. So, yeah, like I said, it's this is all and I know them. I know numerous, like genuinely several big families where this is a favorite among the kids and the parents and like this is going to be their movie that they're going to remember the way I remember. It. Like, I mean, like you said, it'll be their newsies the way it newsies is for me. So,
0: and like, I think it's not a universal critics versus audience thing. Well, obviously the audience enjoyed it much more than the critics. There's still plenty of people like you online who are like, I don't get this movie. Why do people like it? So it's, it's going to be that weird, interesting divide. Like it it, it, it divides audience, like either like people love it or they're just kind of, or they hate it. There's, there's a bit of ambivalence, but there doesn't seem to be all that much room on the like scale between you know liking and loving it, uh, so it, it just the passion it inspires is really interesting to watch. So yeah, I, I'm very fascinated as far as this legacy. And there is talk of a sequel. Like they they for the last you know year or so in interviews you know, with you know, Michael Gracie or Bill Condon or you know, Hugh Jackman, they, they're talking about that the, 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 there might be a sequel in the works. I don't know what they'd cover, but if this team comes back, especially you know, especially O'Pesic you know, and Paul, I, I'm going to be there day one all right uh so that was the greatest showman uh i hope you enjoyed it uh, more like i enjoyed the movie <laughs> and <laughs> if you do i'd like to ask you to please uh, head over to itunes and uh, leave a rating and review it'd just be very helpful for us and if you want to like the show on facebook we are there as franchise Geek podcast if you want to follow us on twitter and instagram we are there at franchised pod and you want to find if you want to find other episodes you can go to franchise com. and where can people go read your terrible reviews for the greatest showman james <laughs>
1: I don't actually have a, a posted review. I may, I may write one just for you. <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Letterboxd. I am there as JL Hamreed's It's J-L-H-A-M-R-I. Uh, and I am also uh, an admin, along with you and some of our friends, over at uh, The Outer Rim, a Star Wars group on Facebook. And we are still right in the thick of Clone Wars, going through a Star Wars marathon that's going to lead right into Rise of the Skywalker. Uh and we are a very positive-leaning fan group there, so if you want to come and talk about all of the excitement around Star Wars right now, feel free to join us.
0: And I'm also on Letterboxd, and there's Gabriel Green. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at @gabe_a_green, and I'm on Instagram as Gabe the Great Green. Ah, uh, so next week we are gonna take a stab at a giant franchise uh, with the MCU. Actually, this is the biggest. It's the biggest series, like uh, monetarily, in film history. So it's gonna be fun. Uh, I love these movies, and I'm also kind of scared. A lot of research.
1: Yeah, it's gonna you know we we've had a long enough break since we covered Star Wars, so it's time to really get back into this stuff.
0: Yeah. All right, Ah, uh, so until next week, uh, we will see you in the sequel.